about what I can do for others because I recognize the position I am in now. I must say that my father has a PhD, right? So I know that there are not many young black women, single mothers doing a PhD that has a parent with a PhD. So I know that I'm in a position that will probably in a few years propel me, you know, quickly and much further than a lot of other people. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. In this episode of Bristol Unpacked, we talk to Zakia McKenzie, Bristol's black and green pioneer. She's a broadcaster, a poet and an academic. She recently featured on BBC Radio 4 and has been across many platforms for her writing. She brings a fresh perspective on many issues, wants to see more radicalism in our thinking about race, class and climate change and for people to stop being so polite. Zakia. Hey, hi, how are you? I'm good. Have I pronounced that right? Yes, Zakia. I have. Zakia. <laughs> um, for those that don't know you, you're academic, broadcaster, musician, or poet. What, what do you? How do you define yourself? It is a bit of all of that, really. I'm still trying to figure out like where exactly or who exactly I am. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you've obviously got quite a distinct accent. Yep. Yeah. That's not from Southmead or Hartcliffe, is it? <laughs> not at all. No? <laughs> so you're originally from Jamaica. Then I'm oh. going to do that thing and ask you when you came to the UK. Okay, so I was born here. I was born in you London. Were born in the UK. Yes, that's no, that. I, I, I thought you told me you weren't. Okay, sorry. But that's how it makes the story a bit crazy, isn't it? Because even sometimes I forget too, because I left England before I could walk and talk. So all of my uh, memories start in Jamaica. All of my consciousness begins in Jamaica. I don't have any memories of England. I only came yeah. back in 2014, and I came to Bristol, not to London. You've obviously got an interesting perspective because you come in. And you're kind of seeing things kind of fresh a bit. Black History Month. What do you think of it? Good, good thing, bad thing? <laughs> it's good for raising awareness is what we hear, but it's not the only time of the year where we where we want to see a lot of these projects and people getting work, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I suppose it's well-intentioned to create a real kind of focus. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays it's actually good because I suppose before I was in England, you know, when I was elsewhere and, yeah. and people who are my contemporaries now, when they were growing up, black history in England was American, you know, black American history. So I suppose having now yeah. a more concerted effort towards black British records of history is very yeah. important. And I definitely think that's a good idea. Is it a global thing, Black History Month, or is it just a British thing? Well, American Black History Month is in February. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Do you have it in Jamaica? No, Jamaica doesn't have it. You know, a country like Jamaica wouldn't have it. These these are things that happen in in places where yeah, 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 where where the black population is a minority. So I remember when it first went Black History Month when I was doing youth work then, and I I think the whole intention was that it was supposed to and should kind of kickstart and more focus on black history in general. Okay. If we fast forward to now. I would say, obviously, with Black Lives Matter and, you know, particularly in Bristol with 
statues coming down and there's, yeah. there's organizations really trying to focus and decolonize the, you know, the classroom that's definitely happening anyway yeah i am a bit cynical about suddenly lots of white media going quick let's get black people yeah. and it's here it's there i even had a yeah. conversation if i'm honest and they i don't know they may they may take this bit out where i was a little bit oh you know are we going to do specific stuff on this podcast just for black history month mm-hmm. because i mean the joke's been a, a black friend even said to me are you going to have white people on your show and I've had more, I've had far more black people than white people. So for me, it just feels like if it's trying too hard, I get a bit cringe. I want to read you this tweet by um, Mallory Blackman. So all those stuffing my inbox with requests to do stuff for Black History Month. Please note, I'm black all year round and I'm happy to consider doing stuff all year all round. All year, yeah. You don't, need, you don't need to try and cram all your requests and activities into October. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> She's right. Like, use this month to get the new people, like Mallory Blackman. You cannot book her. You can't book her two weeks in advance. You know, you should know. That means they don't even know the people who they're approaching. Right? You just know a name. Oh, let's try this person. So, I would encourage organizations, like, if you want people, take this month, starting about July, August, make your links in the community and get some new people. Help someone develop so that they can be around for the rest of the months and not just this month. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder if there's probably the Black Lives Matter movement itself and the momentum that's been taking place, you know, in, in Bristol has probably had more of a contribution to challenging the education system mm-hmm. and, and history yes. than Black History Month has probably. Yeah, man. I, you know, if whether or not we had Black History Month this year and Black History Month this year is like on 100 because of the kind of year we've already had. You know, no mm-hmm. organization wants to get caught out there having put out their black square for, yeah. you know, blackout day, having put out their statement for Black Lives Matter in July or August. They don't want to yeah. get left out. They don't want to be caught out not doing something this month. And, and Bristol is a big part of that story. It started with Black Lives Matter, but in terms of the whole us, everybody looking at the iconography and the kind of the statues and the naming, that, that's a Bristol thing, right? And so, and that's been happening before this month. And I think it will continue for a while. And so what we're yeah. saying is that we need things like that without having to have the big Black History Month or having to have a statue come down. Because as much as we're happy it come down, that is also just symbolic, Right. Yeah. Things have definitely shifted. I think it, for me, it feels like a shift for for real now. Whereas yeah. it did feel like a little bit of tokenism or a well-meaning focus. But now I think things have shifted. For for you coming in, as we said, fresh eyes in into a city like Bristol, do you see it as a radical city? Boy, it depends on who you ask. You know, it depends on where you're sitting. It depends mm. on what you're interested in because. We can be very frank about it. You know, Bristol is this great, big, green, environmentally friendly city. But if we're looking in Lawrence Hill, Barton Hill, air quality is terrible. You know, if we compare Lawrence Hill to Clifton, which is leafy and beautiful, these wide streets. Honestly, even I, when I'm up there, my eyes are like, wow, you know, same city. But that's only eight minutes on the train. It's only eight minutes in between them. And we're talking about a couple of years ago, a life expectancy of, I think it was nine years. I think it's 13 years is the the disparity in Bristol, yeah. That don't make sense. You know, no one is supposed to feel good living in a place like that. I think Bristol's very good at presenting a radical image. I'm not I'm not sure how radical it actually is because Right, because, because issues when, like, like you that. Said, when you drill into that detail yeah. of life expectancy, air pollution, racial, social inequality. Yes. And this is kind of why I'm skeptical and cynical when I see some diversity initiatives by big organizations in the city. 
because until I see data, mm-hmm. everybody wants to tick them box. But like we we know people on the ground see it, and in a city like Bristol, where there is a big gap, yes, a lot of people are moving forward. But let us be clear and true that the more some of us move forward, is the more some people get left back. You know, the more the city becomes this big green city and has a green economy, what about people from poorer neighbors who are not included in that economy? What happens in 20 years when Bristol does have a booming green economy? You know, whatever it is, engineering, however it goes. What happened to those people if we're not right now integrating them into those things that we're planning for the future? Yeah. And I've spoken to a couple of people in this series, and that's challenged me a bit. If I'm honest, I was probably somebody that would stereotype someone that was into green activism. I would see them as being a bit middle class, a bit white, Mm -hmm. a little bit right on. And then I've spoken to a few people that are sort of crossing the margins a bit. And they're like, well, you do realise that, you know, air pollution affects poor people. Yep. So, you know, why should there be not more working class people, black and white? Involved. Involved yeah, in, in this. decision. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of your work, isn't it? For me, that's why you're interested. You know, you don't strike me as the type of person who fits into that box of what a green activist is. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, that's at the heart of my work and the work of the project, you know, like the Black and Green project is that actually we need to be rethinking who it yeah. is that we're taking... Black and Green Project is led by Regima and this Bristol Green Capital, isn't it, is involved yes. in that. This is about trying to get the BME community caring and being active in issues to do with the environment, yeah? Yeah, and we see it as both ways. It is about getting people from our communities to learn and know about the issues, but also we want the people who are leading the conversation to look at what communities have been doing and saying, actually, you already have some practices that are environmentally friendly, um, sustainable, sometimes because of financial reasons. You know, you would reuse, your clothes would pass down, things that are so cool and Instagram, you know, friendly now. A lot of working class people will have some of these things that are just things in their family that they did because it made sense financially or, you know, wherever they were, spatially, geographically, to grow something because you couldn't get that specific product. There's a presumption of what somebody is when they're into green stuff, which I think and hopefully is shifting and changing now. But actually, the whole kind of black and green project is interesting because it's not really how I would say it's not necessarily reaching out to people that this stuff is new to Mm -hmm. so I I wrote an article with a guy called Marcus Barnaby who grows his own veg yeah Yeah. and his whole driver and his whole thing is actually not starting something new bringing back a Jamaican tradition or a Caribbean tradition of people growing their own food and he was talking about his parents generation and his grandparents generation that would when they first came from the Windrush to Bristol Mm -hmm. they'd be growing vegetables wherever they could little spaces little nooks and crannies and he wants to revitalize that for a younger generation and also you know you talk about veganism Mm -hmm. you know Rastafarians have been vegan long before it was fashionable here so this isn't something new it's just bringing a culture back isn't it yes yes exactly what I hope my work highlights and says that we're not, nothing is not new. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just actually yeah. looking at it from a different angle and seeing yeah. that we've left out a lot of people in this story that we've told ourselves, yeah. right? And actually yeah. the people that we've left out have been doing the things that they've been doing for centuries yeah. and, and, and have not contributed as much as the industrialized world. 
to yeah. the problems that we face now, you know, and although many of them poorer people, people in a developing, so-called developing world, a third world, whatever, will yeah. feel the brunt of it a lot. But unfortunately, we, we know that people will wake up because these incidents will be more. So more and more people will be coming towards this, like, let me find out what's going on with this climate change thing, you know. Mm. What do you think about all the Extinction Rebellion kind of guys? Are you kind of supportive of what they do or do you, are you kind of connected to that in any way? I, I'd, I've probably been, I sit on a panel with them before. I'm not involved directly. I haven't done anything directly with them. But yeah. I kind of, I, I am, you know, I like to see the disruption in one way because I think, <laughs> yeah, I think English people too nice, too respectable, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> but they're yeah. probably, just like all other institutions and organizations or many others, they need to look yeah. inwards about how they, you know, different people. Because that's the problem, isn't it? It's very easy, I think, to be green. Mm-hmm. and to cycle everywhere if you live close to the center and to yep. buy organic vegetables and to be listening to if you know and you, you live in a nice house and it's almost like maslow's theory of need isn't it where you've got you have you've got everything, everything is place. covered yeah yeah so you don't have to worry about anything else but if you don't know where your next meal's coming from or you don't you can't pay the rent at the end of you know that unfortunately your the issues that are on your mind are closer to home mm-hmm. yeah um, so how do we square that how can we make it more i guess accessible not not even just so much in terms of of race because as we just said i think culturally to mm-hmm. be honest with you, culturally people originally from the caribbean are probably more in tune with this whole stuff and eating fresh food growing food being connected yeah. to nature because there's a reference point there to draw on yeah. some of the guys from the council estates of the city white working class people this never really been there yeah so you're starting from ground zero in with regards to creating that awareness for True. people that maybe haven't got much money either so where, how do you start that conversation Boy, I mean, you know, I will always go back to having these community spaces and community groups like Dell at Felix Road growing a few things there and having yeah. his kids group. And then at some point, trust me, some of those youths are going to get interested when they see him doing what they're doing. Yeah. And I think especially for young people to like yourself, maybe from the council estate or just urban space in the city, don't really get a chance to get out. Mm. I think knowing where your food comes from or seeing food grow, maybe having to pick a few leaves and understanding that process is a starting point, I think. Because food is something we all need. It's not It's not the Arctic. It's not melting ice caps or wildfires in, in Australia or the Amazon. It's relevant to their daily yes. life, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I mean, ask young people around you. and you will ask them where the chicken come from and trust me, somebody going to tell you Sainsbury's and they're not going to know a step, a step further. They're going to tell you little, yeah, right? Yeah, they're going to yeah. tell you Aldi and they don't know yeah. a step further. And yeah. so I think that's always a good point is to move one yeah. step further then to say, or a few steps further to get, let people start understanding at least something that they do every day, multiple times a day, food, or we hope that they do because again, hunger yeah. is another thing, right? Yeah. So I think that's a good place to start. And eating fresh food, you know, that is a big, not just contributing factor to health, but to saving the planet. Yes. Yep. I mean, yep. that sounds an exaggeration, but it is, it's, it's, it's true. It really it? is. Yeah. Yeah, man. When we know about the industries and, yeah. and, I, and I think a lot, you know, my thing about it too, in, in bringing young people to the countryside and bringing them to farms from, from Bristol mm. city kids, they start to pick up small steps that a lot of the things that we are doing or where we live in the city, it's, 
it's because somebody made a business out of it. It's, there's a consumerism attached to it. And you'll yeah. be surprised how young children, they can't articulate this, but they kind of start to understand when they see strawberries growing and they're able to pick them, that there is a process yeah. that happens for it to get onto the shelf, right? So I remember a time in probably the 70s, the late 70s, early 80s, when suddenly it was fashionable to have everything in packet food. Yes. If we had packet food in the house, we'd be like, oh my right. God, we're a bit posh tonight. We've got packet right. food. And, and, and this whole thing, it became a, a kind of middle class thing to yes. buy packet food and processed food. That is completely wow. opposite to what, you know. Yeah, what it is now. Yeah, I've, I've traveled a bit. And we, yeah. when we, go to, we haven't been for a while. We, we go to Brazil sort of every other year. And, you know, poor people there eat really good, healthy, fresh food. Mm-hmm. They, they cook from fresh. You know, if you go to the yeah. house, and I think there's a culture you know, in a lot of the migrant communities to, to England as well that do that and I, they eat healthier, they cook, they know how to cook. Yeah. It's kind of yep. a horrible thing to say, but I think a lot of <laughs> yes. British people don't know how to cook. You said it, not me. <laughs> I'll say it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you know, and, you know, funny enough, these are things that actually trickle down class-wise in terms of when it is a middle-class thing or a thing of affluence to be able to peel off the plastic off of everything new, then yeah. what is it that the rest of us aspire to when we yeah. made it, right? Yeah. So, and and we we see that happen now with poor people as well. And, and it's, it can be stereotypical, but, w- you know, there's, we have terms in every culture. Jamaica have the term about, you know, I want my things them crisp. Everything must be crisp, brand new. Like Jamaica has a term for second-hand clothes. It's a derogatory term for second-hand clothes called poopina. <laughs> Poop is a fart, right? So, oh, you're wearing poopina. You're wearing a clothes yeah, yeah, that someone yeah. else has farted in, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we yeah. need to have it crisp. We need crisp clothes. You'll often find that lots of people that are kind of wealthy are often quite scruffy. Yes, yeah. Because they, they don't need to. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? In fact, they're going to underplay it. it was different. Chris Rock talks about it, doesn't he? The difference between wealth and yeah. being rich. And yeah. it's like wealthy people just, it's a bit uncouth to kind of overshow it. Whereas I think mm-hmm. some more, you know, aspirant people, it's all about, you know, you're bankrupt yourself for. It's the appearance, it's right. It's the appearance, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and it's superficial. It's superficial, yeah. you know. On that, you know, because you've got an interesting take on race and class. What's your kind of position on diversity initiatives or your position on representation for you is it about we need more black people in positions of leadership we need more representation across all sectors mm-hmm. does it stop there or is it about what you do when you are there yeah obviously because you know we know that we have as Fanon said black black mass white face right because we yeah. know that it's not who you are is what you do right. and so i think diversity initiatives are good because yes representation matters i think especially for younger people yeah. children we were all young and we we know what it was like to see role models all of us understand that so i think for mm. young people it's it's a good thing but i am also very careful to say that i don't know if we need more representation or if we need more recognition of people already doing the work, because that's one thing I've found that there are very few areas or sectors that you'll find where diverse people, you know, black mm. people, Asian people, poorer people, everyone, you know, mm. you, there are very few sectors. You won't be able to find someone else than the kind of standard status quo who you expect. It's yeah. more about getting those connections and finding those people and giving them the opportunities because we understand that you might not have 
a black CEO of certain type of organization because it takes, you know, this experience or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's structural, sometimes structural barriers why people haven't been able to achieve that. It doesn't mean they don't have the ability to. So I think what I want to see more and what I think the Black and Green Project, I hope, you know, has done very well is, is shown that people are around that have the ability and we just need to be connecting them into the right places with the right people, people who are considerate and, and recognizing, yeah. you know, they have the abilities. It's definitely needed, and it, but it, there's that kind of shift. It isn't just, right, job done now. It's like, who are you bringing up through? How are you shifting and yeah. changing the roots? Yes. I just got to pause that conversation for a second. Ah, the sound of silence. Without people like you chipping in, this podcast and the rest of Bristol Cable's work won't happen and will be silenced. So, we don't have corporate advertising, but we do have 2,200 people in Bristol who put in a couple of quid a month by becoming members of The Cable, which makes this new model of journalism in Bristol possible. So if you're enjoying this, and thousands of you are, please join us today. And if anything, you can pay my fee. Find out more on The Cable website. Fred Hampton, remember this great quote, we say you don't fight racism with racism. We're going to fight racism with solidarity. We say Mm -hmm. you don't fight capitalism with black capitalism. Capitalism. You fight capitalism with socialism. Would you agree or disagree with that? No, I think it makes sense. You know, it's it's a weird world to live in because how can we say we're anti-capitalist, but we shop on Amazon because we know that we need to get something tomorrow and who doesn't have a car, who is, you know, so... And I would also say that it is true that there's probably a lot of considerations that people have to take on a personal level of what they're willing to do, yeah. you know, what they're willing to sacrifice for uh, personal, for themselves, but also for a greater good of a community. And I think I am 100% always thinking about what I can do for others because I recognize the position I am in now, yeah. right? And I must say that my father has a PhD, right? So I yeah. know that there are not many young black women, single mothers doing a PhD that has a parent with a PhD. So I know that I'm in a position that will probably in a few years propel me, you know, quickly and much further than a lot of other people. Um, But, you know, my father got his PhD, what, 10, 15 years ago, I was a teenager. We have to recognize in how everyone is different. But I think from my parents and from myself, I think we always recognize that having this education and having this higher education, and let's be frank, academia is not a nice place for anyone teaching in it probably, but also not for, for black people. Right. So recognizing and having this position and knowing all of those things, I think there's never going to be a time when I'm not trying to see how I can make community better, make a better you know, not hold a gate, like yeah. fly the gate, as you would say in Jamaica. <laughs> in fact, mash up the gate so we don't need to police who's going through yeah. or not, yeah. you know. That, that that needs to happen. And it's to my frustration that I, you know, my background's in community development. I've kind of lived around East and I've seen this all my life. And it's something that is a bugbear. There is no doubt institutional racism in lots of organizations and they're now shuffling their position and changing and that's long way overdue mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm, I'm closely connected enough to to the black community to know that that actually sometimes you you, you hold your own people back mm-hmm. with that with that and it's, it, not many white people could say that with, with kind of confidence but I've seen it or or opportunities sometimes 
of, of kind of denied to people that don't know the right people and and yeah 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 how can you change that i mean you're, you're kind of here now you're in a position you're in a platform that yeah. you can kind of do that people will kind of listen to you i suppose yeah. my question is do you accept that's true and what can you do about it yeah, I do accept that it's true that, you know, especially if you lose the connection to the community by the work that you end up doing, if you get disconnected, then you also don't have the people to lean on, yeah. the people to move back to and say, look, this is happening. How can yeah. I deal with it? Or do you want to deal with it? You know, yeah. but so I think for me, again, one way I keep myself grounded is is children. It's just being around young people who they don't care. They don't know yeah. who I am. They don't yeah. care about what I write. They don't understand that I go do a PhD. You tell them I'm getting a doctorate. They think I'm a medical doctor. You know, <laughs> at some point we can explain and talk yeah. about it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you see young people growing up and you recognize the, the opportunities that I had. That if that person had it, how much better they could have done on this specific thing. And you know, I think those real experiences from other people's lives and from my own and from history yeah. uh just show that really what people need is a hand you know people just want like because if you don't know the people you're not going to get there and that's the you thing know? isn't it you can have the skill and you can have the ability but unless you have a network or you've got or some... you know how to navigate the system what i find fascinating and i've seen different changes in the city is that i actually think in terms of navigating the system being organized mm-hmm. lobbying pressurizing organizing groups i think the black community are far better at that than mm-hmm. most white working class communities i know right well here's this is a whole nother another topic that me and you actually in fact from we have this conversation online i've been thinking about it yeah. now the, the black community has to do that because they've been seen as a collective for a long time and it's been easier as a at at one time an immigrant population to band together and do that now what we consider the white working class is not a collective in england Mm -hmm. and i think again i think these are things that happen from top down and we just accept them and move into the kind of factions that we're told to be in um because there isn't a collective of a white working class but we do know that there are millions of people in england who are white english people and working class so that black people and Asian people and immigrants, you know, travelers have been pushed into groups and organizations to speak for their rights. It makes sense if you follow like history and yeah. immigration in all over the world. Now, yeah. the home population is another is another problem. And I've actually been learning about it since yeah. we had this conversation about the white working class. Yeah. I am fascinated with like Victorian era and how you just had a bunch of rich ratted rich aristocratic people and everyone else was just a commoner just a servant i think there are interesting parallels to look at between that edwardian and victorian age and what was happening with working class people so as a black woman we talk about white people white people white people but actually what we mean is really what we mean is capitalist structural white society it's not poor working class people honestly right now it shouldn't be black versus whites it should be us against the rich, yeah. honestly. That's yeah, and this is kind of right what I'm leading to. Even the term, as you say, white working class, and then you've got the black community, the Asian It's kind of like, why can't we have a working class solidarity? Exactly, because, the, because obviously... United yes. is far more you know, effective, isn't it, I think? Obviously, there is a black working class, but not everybody who is black in this country is working class. But yeah. you have Do you acknowledge that, then? Some black people say to me that a black person will identify as black before class and actually there isn't really such a thing as class in the black community 
But well, then, then somebody else did say to me, that's just the person that told you that is middle class. That's why he was black. No, man, I think most people will identify as black first. But again, that's just yeah. because of uh, history and, and yeah, stuff. the yeah, discrimination yeah. that you yeah, face yeah, yeah. because of yeah. that. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. I think being poor or being working class is another issue. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. think it should be the rallying issue at the moment and probably for a long time. It should have been, you know, but. It is true that many black people, we're not considering class because we still haven't dealt or we still don't feel safe because of race. Yeah. yeah. I've always cited this, that I've got more in common with you than I have with Boris Johnson. You know, yeah. it's yeah. this sense of how can diverse working class communities start to collaborate more effectively in mm-hmm. the same way that certain parts of the black community in Bristol, for example, have begun to really know how to access and push for yeah. or uh, influence and power and, and institutions now that weren't listening are now listening, so it's working. Yeah. There's almost yeah. like a consultancy. could be like community activist consultancy to talk to some of these other people on the estates so yes. off this, the Richter scale yeah. and how we can kind of learn from each other. I've, me and Delroy have spoken a lot about this, is how we can kind of create some thing i don't know what it is yeah. where, where we cross that cultural divide but there is this sort of class solidarity and looking yes. for people that are racist from white working class communities and there are a sizable amount i would say mm-hmm. yeah and that's because of ignorance or because of lack of exposure yeah. the only way for that to be bridged and changed is by some kind of dialogue or understanding and it's how you start that process i think i agree you i know? agree and I, and I think you and del have a good idea now for me you know it's places like Upper Street in Easton, which I think are absolutely great community organizations that yeah. if a place like that could link with another organization in a different area of the city and then yeah. you know, learn yeah. from each other, start people moving in different areas, getting to yeah. know each other, then we, we will have it because we can see it on smaller scales. As you say, in certain communities, mm-hmm. we see it working where people are learning how to access and maneuver the city and also knowing when to say no, knowing to yeah. say no, you cannot, you cannot do that to us. Like everything I've been saying, it comes down to people at the center and being able to approach each other or or not being scared to approach someone else or a different organization and setting up a conversation, a partnership to start. Particularly for young people. I mean, I would like to see funding in the city for groups that move from the inner city to south and to north, you know, an Mm -hmm. exchange of different types of young people. A friend of mine once made an amazing film. This is about 10, 15 years ago. So there was a group of lads in St. Paul's and a group of lads in Knoll West. They they were the same organisation called Positive Futures, I think they were called. They interviewed both of them separately and asked them what they thought of Knoll West. Yeah. What was St. Paul's. And actually... There's a lot of similarity and, and the, the things they feared, the things they didn't like, how they thought they would be seen. And would you go there on a Friday night? I never go there on a Friday yeah. night. And, <laughs> and then they got them together and it was all a bit cagey. A bit, and then they used football as the hook. And yeah. then they started playing football together. And then they finally had a bit more in common. They like the same music, they this and that, the other. They ended up playing a football tournament together. And some of those lads are still friends now. Still friends. Yeah. yeah. And that needs yeah. to be bridged. I yeah. think we need more bridging organisations and bridging people. I see you as a bridging person with your work, what you're doing. That, for me, looking at it from the outside, people that are working across the margins trying to shift and change things, not just in their echo chamber. And for as much as we have this great progressive liberal awakening in Bristol now, which is long overdue, not everyone is part of that. And how do we stretch that out? 
I, I agree with you. I think it is, like I said, more people who are already out there because we have people doing the work being listened to. And, um, you know, there was a time when I used to be like, oh, I don't deal with politics. I don't deal with the laws. I can't be bothered with that stuff. But mm. that's where things get changed, yeah. especially with young people is coming up with them, spending some years with them, growing them up. So they know that they have a voice in the city. And I think, trust me, we, we will then see more because the only reason why I am here and can speak like like this is because somebody, when I was younger, spoke to me and taught me, right? Yeah. Everything that I am now is because when I was younger, I was taught. I was Somebody took the time and gave me the rundown. Somebody said, Yo, you know, catch this, learn this, you know? Yeah. And so I think we need to be nurturing young people. We have to equip them to be able to make the connections that we are just recognizing we need to make across yeah. maybe class lines. And in the context of the say like the Colson statue for example the, mm-hmm. the, the young people that were involved in that you know it wasn't the careful what I say but well, actually not going to say it anyway you know there are people <laughs> owning this issue in the media locally and nationally that weren't even there and, yeah. and, and and the young people that actually took it upon themselves to do this because to take it now. Yeah. you know political leaders sat on their hands for a matter of time and community leaders you know t- tried but didn't actually manage they, they just did it and you know and they were young people black and white that, that did that. And I think it's the same with the Extinction Rebellion, whether you, people agree with the mechanics of how they do it. It's the protest. Mm-hmm. Younger people at the moment are not sitting around and waiting for permission to yes. take action. Yeah. And it's so heartening to me. I wish it was the millennials. You know, I wish it was us. But <laughs> so do I. there's also like a, probably a natural progression. We had to be comfortable enough and then say, actually, wait, there's something wrong with us being comfortable with the world being this bad for them to be like, ah, uh-uh, something is wrong with yeah. y'all. Yeah. And that's not to disrespect a lot of work that's gone in to that exactly. movement before. And I, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And lots of right. people have and knocked on doors and, and exactly. there's different ways and there's different strategies of how you do that. Yeah. I just think the, the latest approach of young people sort of like across yeah. it's like rah I don't care I'm just gonna tear it down no just, trust me you know I love it I love yeah. it I'm always like you go girl you yeah. go boy like you yeah. go friend like we said pushing on doors breaking the gates because it hasn't worked for so long or mm. we got someone in through the gate and for 20 years we never get nobody else so yeah. um, and, and again it's not because we need representation because we need to fill a quota but there are other people out there with the abilities and I really believe there's space yeah. for everybody like, do you ever go on somebody's like Twitter page or Instagram page and they have like a million followers and you're like, who are you? A million people know you. Yeah. There, there's yeah. a niche, there's a corner online, offline for everyone to do it. You know, for me, that's how I think is a good way to know, use this platform that I have. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And what's next for you? I finished this damn PhD. Yeah, what's, <laughs> in? what's it in? It's quite interesting. Yeah. It's on black British journalism. Again, it's this thing of history wow, where great. we forgot or we didn't yeah, know, yeah. we weren't told that there was this tradition of alternative journalism in the post Windrush period. So pre the, the voice and kind of, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I actually stop right as the voice comes around. Cause we all know the voice, but we don't know what happens before then. No, so 1980, 1981 is when I stop. Yeah. yeah. Right. As the voice comes around. Wow. That sounds amazing. Look forward to, so you're going to be writing and talking about this on radio as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting yeah, you've got a radio show on Eugene as well, not you? Not anymore. My show yeah. isn't on, but I am oh, hoping okay. to get some sounds back again. And I do recommend anybody, please, to go on to BBC Sounds, Night Vision, The Forest, which is bloody brilliant. Really, really interesting listen, and you will learn something. And also check out 
bird girl who I don't even know her actual real name. Yes, her name, Maya Rose. Maya, Maya Rose. Rose. She is somebody who sort of campaigns for diversity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Climate, Climate campaign. Climate I mean, campaign. It's all rolling to one now, isn't it? And you just did something with Radio Four with her, didn't you? Yeah, Radio Four one-on-one series, and she interviewed me and her had a chat. So that's online as well. Amazing. Thank you, Sky. I've really enjoyed that. Lovely. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. enjoyed this episode of bristol unpacked then please do sign up for our podcast loads of episodes on there with fascinating characters and interesting topics and next week we'll have another fascinating guest for you to chew over thanks for listening to bristol unpacked i'm neil mags and a big thanks to rosa eaton our audio producer adam cantwell corn our executive producer and blue dot for our music Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable along with 2,000 others to create a new kind of media for the city.